When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard show with Andy Ben Bernard and Mike Molina. And we'll be right back. Harvey Weinstein wants a judge to dismiss his federal sexual misconduct lawsuit. And we'll find out why next, Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, One of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Brian. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional bodywork costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. We are back, Tom Bernard Show, ladies and gentlemen. Interesting. The headline reads that Harvey Weinstein um, has brought Meryl Streep's name up in his court case. Weinstein causes fury by quoting Streep in his defense. (laughs) I tell you, these Hollywood pigs are all the same, aren't they? 
They're all in the sack together. They're all pigging it up, you know. Harvey Weinstein wants a judge to dismiss a federal sexual misconduct lawsuit against him and invoke the words and actions of Oscar-winning actresses, including Meryl Streep in his defense. (laughs) Lawyers for the disgraced film mogul said Tuesday in federal court in New York that the proposed class action lawsuit filed by six women should be rejected because the alleged assaults took place too long ago and they failed to offer facts to support claims of racketeering. His lawyer cited comments made by Streep in a statement she released last October saying Weinstein has always been respectful in their working relationship. In a blistering response on Wednesday, the AP report Streep said misusing her statement as evidence that he was not abusive with many other women is pathetic and exploitive. The criminal actions he is accused of conducting on the bodies of these women are his responsibility. You know, I got to tell you something. Right in the middle of reading that story, I look up and there's Mike Lindell trying to sell me a pillow. <laughs> Honestly, God, I see Mike Lindell about 50 times a day. It's amazing. Yeah, it was just an ad popped up for Mike Lindell selling my pillow. It's hilarious. The criminal actions he is accused of conducting on the bodies of these other women are his responsibility, Streep continued. And if there's any justice left in the system, he will pay for them. The lawsuit, which could potentially involve hundreds of other women, said Weinstein assaulted young women trying to break into Hollywood when they were uh, alone with him, and that his former film companies operated like an organized crime group to conceal widespread sexual harassment and assaults. The filing also cited Gwyneth Paltrow as an example, uh, saying she went on to work with Weinstein and win an Oscar for Shakespeare in Love in 1998 after he was accused of harassing her during the filming of Emma in 1994. And mentions Jennifer Lawrence telling Oprah Winfrey that she had known Weinstein since she was 20 and that he had only ever been nice to me. What is wrong with with Jennifer Lawrence? Good question. Now she's taken off for a couple of years from what I understand. J-Law, as they call her now. Andy, you call her J-Law, don't you? That's all I know her as. That's all you know her as, just well, hey, J-Law. Back to that article. Let's not put uh, Weinstein in the same category as Sicilians, all right? Compare them to organized crime. Come on. Well, there were, but, <laughs> wait a second. Sicilians got nothing to do with it. You, you might have heard of a you know, few names like Bugsy Siegel, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Meyer Lansky. Yep. I just had his sandwich at Mort's Deli two nights ago with Michael Bryant. We had the Lansky. Oh, was it Murder Incorporated? or uh, Murder Incorporated, that's exactly right. Jennifer Lawrence is snapping back at sexist critics who gave her flack for wearing a slinky Versace dress outside in the London winter. Lawrence uh, appeared Tuesday with her male Red Sparrows co-stars, all of whom wore layers and a black Versace dress with a plunging neckline and thigh-high slit. Please give Jennifer Lawrence a dang coat, was the reaction at Jezebel. Several social media users mocked the choice and assumed Lawrence had been instructed to wear the dress, per the Washington Post. Get a grip, people. Everything you see me wear is my choice, the 27-year-old replied on Facebook. You think I'm going to cover that gorgeous dress up with a coat and a scarf? I was outside for five minutes. Co-star Joel Edgerton, I like Joel Edgerton, said the body shaming and outfit shaming was really disappointing per Yahoo. But Lawrence said she was extremely offended. This is not feminism, she wrote, overreacting about everything someone says or does, creating controversy over silly, innocuous things such as what I chose to wear or not to wear is not moving us forward. 
It's creating silly distractions from real issues. Speaking of real issues, Lawrence tells Entertainment Tonight that she'll take the next year away from acting as she works with nonprofit Represent.us to prevent corruption, fix our democracy, and get young people engaged politically on a local level. In other words, she's going to kiss up to Michelle Obama. All right, well, at least we yeah, can go so to it's uh, correct the, the record. It's correct the record slash share blue, but again, because they have to make it again every year. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much the story. Did you see that article? Um, would you bring up the, 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 the front page of StarTribune.com? I tell you, it's getting worse by the day. Uh, scroll, let's see, let me see where it is. If it, it might be in the second, it was in the second, right? Wait a minute. Oh, look at this. Chef Lenny Russo taking over hotel landings, food and drink in Wyzetta. I like Lenny Russo. Lenny does a great job. Um, <clears throat> oh, you don't have to bring up that story. I just want to say I like Lenny Russo. Uh, there is a story on the front page, and I can't find it yet. It was one of the most read. Uh, it's about the fact that we're now really horrible in shaming people for being old, and it's very hurtful. So if you give somebody a birthday cake that says over the hill on it, you're really being very, very mean to them. When is this all going to stop, do you think? Not soon enough. I just, what is this now? Paul Douglas is saying 6 to 12 inches yeah. from two storms in the next 72 hours? <laughs> yeah. i got to travel. I can't be, oh, God. Uh, so when is this about, this, no, but it's that idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Paul Douglas. Uh, I only go with Ian Leonard. Yeah, Ian Leonard's good. So I'll figure out. I, I looked at weather.com and AccuWeather this morning, and they said maybe Saturday night might get an inch of snow. Yeah, I thought it was supposed to be an inch. They don't know. No. Get a new hairpiece. Well, yesterday uh, we were going for a walk, and uh, Mom was like, oh, check to see if it's going to rain. So I checked, and 0% chance, and then it started raining. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, they're really good at it. Who knows, really? They're really good at it. Uh, maybe what we could do is go to the, uh, see the info section up there, the little spyglass next to all sections. Just check out age shaming. And I'm sure the story will pop right up. There's nothing you could say or do to anybody anymore that, well, it's not popping up. I wonder if they realize how stupid the story was and took it out, took it out of the uh, paper. I just, joking around about, you know, uh, 50. If you send somebody a card that says 50 years old, you're over the hill. That's a horrible thing, and you've hurt them deeply, and you should stop doing it. What? I just, is everybody that sensitive? Is everybody so touchy now that you literally cannot do anything? Apparently, it's only getting worse day by day. It is day by day. Now, old shaming. First of all, let me point something out to you. 50 is as middle age as it, oh. it gets. 50's not old. 60's not old. Actually, 70's not old anymore. The average Minnesotan, that's the average Minnesotan, lives to be 80.9 years old, 81 years old. Another 20 years from now, it'll probably be 90 years old. People are going to be living longer and longer. So to tell somebody because they're 70 years old that they're old is getting to the point of ridiculous. Because I do think, I'm almost certain, that eventually Social Security, the United States government, will raise the retirement age to 70. What is it now, 67? Oh, it'll definitely happen. It's definitely going I'm to sure happen. I'm sure it hasn't already. Yeah. 
I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, just like Andy said. I mean, 70 is definitely within the near future. Oh, yeah. 70 is not old anymore. And I use the example every time. I used it this morning. Grapes of wrath. When the boys turned to one another, the Jode boys turned to one another and said, I'm really worried about Ma. She's gotten so old. She's 55, you know. (laughs) Well, back in 1930, I guess being 55 in a depression, that was old. But now, what is old now? 85? That's old. 90 maybe even? that's pretty old. I don't know, but but to tease someone about being fifty years old or putting over the hill on their birthday cake, or you know, uh, showing an old guy with a walker for somebody's fifty fifth birthday—it's a joke. For can you take a joke about anything? Is there anything in your life that you can laugh about and not have a complete fit? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, life's too short. Like just yeah, it's a joke. I mean, you're 50. Yeah, you know you're not old. I mean, so what? If somebody puts a walker on your cake, who cares? It's funny. Hey, look, I, there was an example today. Now, everybody, oh, my God, how did it happen? Uh, Philip Wise brought up bed bugs because some woman set fire to her mattress because there were bed bugs in it. And, of course, she burned down an entire apartment complex because she set fire to her own bed or her own mattress. And he would said, you, like, take the mattress off before setting it on fire? Well, that's what I would do. I might even take it out. I might get a new mattress is what I might do. But if let's say she's flat-ass broke, take it outside and spray it and then bring it back in. You don't have to set it on fire. It's not the way to get it done. But the, my favorite part of that whole story is Philip said, what does a bed bug look like? And I said, I don't know. I've never seen a bed bug. He said, well... I said, well, let me bring one up on the screen. And the greatest thing about it is, is when bed bugs are an egg and totally harmless, they're white. And then when they grow up and become harmful, they're black. Ah! <laughs> said, Philip, well, this one you show me is brown. Are those bed bugs? Apparently. Oh, oh my God. There's a woman's back. She's oh. bitten several times by bed bugs. Oh, my God. That looks terrible. I don't know how the hell people get bed bugs. It's like, how dirty does your mattress have to be? I think a lot of that happens when you travel and you pick them up in your in your luggage in a hotel, some seedy hotel or whatever. Some disgusting place. Yeah, I guess. And you just you transport them back home on your clothing, and then they crawl up into your bed where it's warm. I guess. I don't know. It just the whole thing is disgusting to me seriously the nasty looking little thing but they're the size of a of an apple seed bed bugs are i didn't know they were that big you can see them yeah you can actually oh, well, see then. them oh. huh. and I, as i told philip this morning now that they're harmful they're not white anymore so. <laughs> <laughs> he just goes oh man tommy don't even bring it up what is this cherry pit leads to capture of most wanted deadbeat dad a cherry pit you know who I thought that was when it was first popped up there? I thought it was Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I was going to say, with the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> he looks just like Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury's a deadbeat dad. <laughs> a tiny cherry pit has led to the capture of America's most wanted deadbeat dad after nearly 20 years on the lam, owing what the U.S. government claims is some $560,000 in child support, Joseph Strope fled arrest in 1998 at some point arriving in Alberta, Canada, known there as Jope Cousteau. Oh, so Jacques Cousteau was taken, so you went with Jope Cousteau? Okay. 
he got to know staff at an outclosed bar called the Bears Den outside of Calgary, which is where the cherry pit enters the story, uh, per reports to CBC. One day in uh, November, Stroop, 64, ordered an odd drink, a cherry Coke topped with eight maraschino cherries, uh, then complained a cherry pit, which he held in his hand, had caused damage to his teeth, says bar owner Scott Winograd. Maraschino cherries, Winograd knew, have their pits removed. When Stroop later brought in handwritten forms he claimed were from a dental office, Winograd did maybe an hour's worth of Googling and arrived at the Justice Department's website, which listed Stroop as America's most wanted deadbeat parent. So he was trying to scam somebody out of money with a cherry pit, broke my tooth story, and instead he gets picked up and popped with $560,000 in child support. Good, Freddie Mercury. Nice job. Uh, the picture was a spitting image. It was absolutely him, Winograd tells the CBC. He alerted U.S. authorities. Within an hour, I had the FBI, U.S. Marshals, and the Office of the Inspector General calling, he says. They really wanted this guy. Arrested by the Canada Border Services Agency on February 1st, Stroop was arraigned in federal court in Chicago on February 16th, reports M Live. He now faces trial in Michigan over his alleged failure to financially support four children since 1996. I don't understand how fathers do that. So you have children. You have four children, and you don't kick in a dime toward their wherewithal. Or their well being. That is sixty three hundred dollars per year per child. That, that's that all it is, right, I guess. Sixty three hundred yeah. a year. Yeah, that's I did it? Um, four times twenty two because it's been twenty two years since ninety six. So it's basically five hundred bucks a month per kid. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty normal child support amount, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say it probably is. Yeah, five hundred bucks a month. So it's two grand a month. So he wouldn't pay two grand a month for the past uh, 22 years. What a scumbag. What a dirtbag. What a pig. No, it was six. Oh, yeah, yeah. For all four. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. If you've noticed your vision getting cloudy, blurry, or dim, or having more difficulty seeing at night, you could have cataracts. Tom here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they do much more? They do, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age where my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Of course, Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology and vision options available, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you've been told you have cataracts or you're wondering why things just aren't as clear as they used to be, call the experts at Whiting Clinic or go to whitingclinic.com to learn more. See the folks at Whiting Clinic in order to see your very best, and don't forget to tell them that I sent you. Spanning the globe. Is that what that is? 
Now the Olympics. Oh, that's the Olympics. I thought it was y- ABC Wide World of Sports. <laughs> that was a good night last night, for especially the U.S. women. Stayed up late and watched hockey, and, and you had you Jesse Diggins. Diggins. Yep, that was great. Diggins, was- please. <laughs> uh, that was amazing. I looked yeah. at that film several times, and Andy, if you hadn't seen it, even if you don't care about sports or the Olympics... You need to see the effort that this woman from Afton, Minnesota, made to win that race. It was phenomenal. That was crazy. It was great. (laughs) Afton, Minnesota, just down the block, ladies and gentlemen, wins the gold medal. Did you see the Canadian hockey team, the female Canadian hockey team? (laughs) Yep. They they put a silver medal around one of the women's neck, and then she immediately took it off. (laughs) She did not look like she was too happy about the whole situation. That was great, too, because you got uh, six former golfers on that team. Yep, absolutely. It, it, it was great. The um, U.S. Uh, women's hockey team won the gold last night for the first time since 1998. Is that yep. what it was? 20 years. 20 years. Well, actually, the gold medal in women's hockey has only been ever won by Canada or the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else has ever won it. Uh. And now the men are still healthy too, aren't they? Oh no, they got uh, they got bounced. Oh, did they get bounced? Yeah, yeah see, I didn't get to catch up on that one. So the, the men's hockey team's out of it. Yeah, and they didn't let any of the pros play this year. I no. Know. Yeah, so that would make sense, I guess. Yeah. Senator Bernie Sanders says that in some ways Robert Mueller's report on Russian election meddling isn't news to him because he knew before the 2016 election that his supporters were being targeted by people seeking to sow division within the American people. Sanders tells the Des Moines Register that AIDS noticed a rise in horrific and ugly things online in September 2016 after he'd already started campaigning across the country for Hillary Clinton. In my case, it was to tell Bernie supporters that Hillary is a criminal, that Hillary Clinton is crazy, that Hillary Clinton is sick, terrible, terrible, ugly stuff, and to have Bernie Sanders supporters either vote for Trump or Jill Stein or not vote at all, he said. In an interview with Vermont Public Radio, uh, Sanders said an aide went to the Clinton campaign after noticing hundreds of new anti-Clinton posters on pro-Sanders social media accounts and said, I think these guys are Russians. The Clinton campaign, however, had more information about this than we did, said Sanders, denying that the Russian bots had held, uh, helped his campaign. They were attacking Hillary Clinton's campaign and using my supporters against Hillary Clinton, Politico reports that Sanders issued a statement Wednesday night stressing that the Russian activity during the 2016 election cycle is an outrage that deserves unconditional condemnation, whether it involves his campaign or those of Clinton and Trump. From what I understand from insiders in both parties, because once again, I, uh, I'm not Republican or Democrat, from both parties, from the insiders that I've talked to, um, and again, a lot of these people were Democrats, said that, that Hillary Clinton's campaign's uh, arrogance, they thought she was going to blow out Trump so badly that it just didn't matter. That's why apparently they say she ignored it and they ignored it, because they thought it was going to be a complete blowout, and therefore they did nothing about it. Now, do I think it changed uh, the election? No. I don't think any... Bernie Sanders supporter is going to jump over and vote for Donald Trump. That was never going to happen. So I don't know. Do I like it? No. Do, does the United States do that to other countries' election? Absolutely we do. So this holier-than-thou attitude that we have, 
oh, they're trying to rig the election. How many elections have we rigged over the years in America? Uh, JFK was elected president because the mafia rigged the election. I'm sorry, it's sad but true. Look, I grew up Roman Catholic. It was a big deal in my house. We were very proud of the fact that a Roman Catholic was elected president of the United States. But as time moved on and I read up on the story, if it wasn't for, I think it was Virginia. It was either Virginia or West Virginia and Illinois. JFK would not have won the presidential election. And, of course, Sam Giancana yep. ran, ran both those states. I can't remember. Would you look it up and see if you could figure it out, Andy? West Virginia or Virginia is where where the vote went big for JFK when they expected it to go the other way. It was one of the two, Virginia or West Virginia. I can never remember. Um, pretty amazing. Um, West Virginia. Well, here's a problem. They had an estate in Virginia, so that's all that's coming up. Uh, it was West Virginia that voted uh, voted for Kennedy. Uh yeah, you are thinking of West Virginia, I think. Yep, it is West Virginia because Virginia voted for uh, for Nixon. So, yeah, if it wasn't for West Virginia and Illinois and Sam Giancana rigging both those elections, it would have changed everything. Uh, so, so voter meddling, or meddling with voters is a better way to put it, I guess. Um, you know, it's so funny. It's just amazing. That Minnesota is this island in the middle of the Midwest. <laughs> it's just so weird to look at. You got this island in the middle of the Midwest. You got North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin that all vote. They're red states. And then you got Minnesota, the big blue state right there at the top of the nation. It is weird to see this map, though, and see the deep south blue. Yeah. Well, that was back, you know, they, they were still talking Dixiecrats back oh. then. Uh, what you have to remember about those Democrats, a lot of them were in the KKK. So they don't like to talk about that too much, including, by the way, Harry Truman. <laughs> so, you know, when you're looking. Well, I think Truman was in there like for 10 seconds when he was a child, though. When he was a child? How long? I think in Truman's case, it wasn't, you know, like a. <laughs> Wasn't his choice. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. Melina's being a smart ass because he brought up the very first election that your mother and I voted in together. And it was Walter Mondale running against Ronald Reagan. Washington, D.C. and the state of Minnesota were the only states in the entire United States that voted for Mondale. The biggest ass-kicking in the history of American elections. It's all red. It's all red except for Minnesota and that little dot where Washington, D.C. is. (laughs) He got 538 electoral votes. Uh. 538. Is that true? Poor Mondale. <laughs> yeah. Popular vote, 92.6 <laughs> million people, and they all hated Walter Mondale. <laughs> Walter, you got took a ass whooping. That's all oh. I got to say. Can you imagine being at that party? Do you think they, like, the, they would have voted for him if he wasn't Minnesotan, just because he was Democrat? Uh, yeah, Minnesota always has voted Democrat as far. I mean, certainly all the way back as far as I've been alive. When, could you look and see time, when is yeah. the last time that Minnesota did vote did vote uh, anything but Democrat? Has it ever happened? When did it become yeah, a state in, in 1865? Like, this is hilarious. Uh, yeah, 1932. Uh, might have been 72. Yeah, 1932. Oh. Wait. Yeah. What do you got? 1932, Andy. 
Um, or has it ever Seventy-two. Yeah, Nixon, 1972. Last voting Republican during Nixon's landslide victory in 72. Are they but sure? I mean, everyone voted Bring for that Nixon. up, 72. I don't believe that they voted Republican. I certainly don't, it, don't remember that. Nixon was one of the biggest landslides, uh, almost as big as Reagan. So, I mean... Yeah, he was elected uh, president on my 21st birthday. I do remember that, and I don't remember. There was actually one bigger landslide than Reagan versus Mondale. There was? Not by much, but yes. Uh, right. FDR was elected with 523 out of 531, so the uh, runner-up got eight. <laughs> <laughs> one district voted for him. 1972, the only state that voted for, uh, for McGovern was Massachusetts. And D.C., of course. D.C. Yeah. voted. So it was Massachusetts and D.C. What's that little brown spot down there in uh, yeah, Kentucky. Right lower in Kentucky? It's the... Oh, Libertarian. Yep. They, they voted Hospers, Libertarian. But, yeah, 1972, Minnesota did vote Republican. I didn't even... I did not remember that. All I know is that Nixon was elected on my, on my uh, 21st birthday. Yep. There you go, November 7th, 1972. Yep, what do you think of that action? And I believe that was the same day they lowered the drinking age to 18. <laughs> oh, so when I turned 21, you lowered the drinking age to 18, huh? Well, thank you. That's great. That's wonderful. Perfect. Uh, D.C. has never not voted blue in its entire history, so there's that. Yeah, D.C.'s always voted blue. There's no Literally question. always blue, which is a little cultish, but, you know. Yeah, that's the only problem that I have when, when states just lock it in, like, you know, Illinois and... Well, Illinois, I love Chicago. It's my favorite large city in the world. But Illinois is one of the filthiest political states in the history of the world. It is just filthy. Let's check out there. Well, I believe. Voting history. Andy, check out the voting history and then check out how many former governors of Illinois have ended up in prison. Because oh. mm. I believe Illinois it's four. is a yeah. lot more balanced than Minnesota. Significantly. More balanced? Yeah. Really? They don't always in vote Democrats? In the past hundred years, it's been about even. Okay, so look for, look for me. How many former Illinois governors have ended up in prison? Because I know it, it's three or four. It's something that high. It's unbelievable. Because Blagojevich, I... Four of the last seven. <laughs> four of That's the last seven governors have ended up in prison. What kind of state are you running down there? Is Blagojevich Rod still in... Blag- Blagojevich. Rod Blagojevich. Blagojevich. Uh, let's see. Convicted of corruption charges in 2011. <laughs> he was the first Illinois governor in history to be impeached, too. Yeah, he was. He was uh, George Ryan, racketeering, <laughs> uh, Dan Walker, bank fraud, and Otto Kerner, uh, bribery. I just love it. I, I, is he still? I think, is Blagojevich still in prison? I think he got out. Let's oh, see. did he get out? Uh, he got 14 years, though, Rod in federal prison. So. Blagojevich. He, I don't know if he's gotten out or not. Um, nope, he's still in. He's still in prison? Oh, federal my God. Federal Correctional Institution in Englewood. What a filthy, filthy place Illinois really is. It's just, honest to God. And I don't really know, why did, when, when people like Al Capone, when they left New York... They went to Chicago. Was it a labor union deal? Is that why they moved there to try to take over the labor unions in, in Illinois? Because Illinois, 
uh, Chicago in particular, huge immigrant state. Back when you know Czech and Polish and and Latvian and Lithuanian and all these people moved to America, uh, they started forming unions, and I and and I think that's what attracted the attention of the mafia in New York. Uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> I just looked at a headline: "Report Young Racists Seeking Out <laughs> Hipper Groups Than the KKK." <laughs> What is wrong with the world? What happened to the world? Is what well, I'd like to know. they are pretty out of style. An organization that tracks far-right extremists says the number of Ku Klux Klan chapters in the U.S. is plummeting as a new generation of khaki-clad racists rejects uh, hoods and robes for a hipper brand of hate. The AP reports the Southern Poverty Law Center said in a report Wednesday that its count of Klan groups fell from 130 in 2016 to 72 last year. SPLC Intelligence Project Director Heidi Byrick says the Klan seems to be collapsing because younger white supremacists are turned off by its old-school traditions. The Alabama-based Law Center reported a huge surge in neo-Nazi groups from 1990, uh, from 99, excuse me, to 2016, in 2016 to 121 last year. It counted a total of 954 active hate groups in 2017, an increase of 4% over the previous year. That's a- Interesting about that, as they say, uh, an organization that tracks far-right extremists. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan was started by the Democratic Party. I'm sorry, they're not yeah, the all SPLC, far-right. The SPLC is well known for being uh, extremely far biased. Left. Yeah, they're extremely biased. They think everything is a hate group. Yeah, they do. Uh, I would say a lot of the uh, your white supremacists uh, do lean far-right. But uh, the Dixiecrats, they love to call them Dixiecrats. They were Democrats. They founded the KKK and were in place for, when I was a kid, they were all Dixiecrats back then. Uh, did you ever look up and see how long Harry Truman was in the KKK? Because that would be something to be I rather interesting. When you look it up, we'll uh, take a break in a couple of seconds and we can open up a, well, we, although we have a guest, so if you could look it up very quickly, that would probably be better because we have a guest because he probably doesn't want to hear how long Harry Truman was in the KKK. <laughs> what does it tell you, Andy? Let's see. Um, he didn't technically join, but he did pay their membership fee. Well, then apparently he joined because he paid their membership fee. So how long was he in the club? Well, he didn't like, he didn't ever go to any meetings or anything, apparently. Yeah, well, that's what they say now, of course. But uh, we know better. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. David Roberts uh, will give us a buzz. Limits of the Known, award-winning author and celebrated mountaineer David Roberts searches for meaning and great adventures of the past and present in Limits of the Known. He is up next, Tom Bernard Show. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. It's very comfortable. Stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. MyPillow is offering more than 50% off his four-pack special, which includes two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. 
That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. This is Tom, and I want to tell you a story about camping. A guy named Tim, his back pain, and his angry wife. You see, Tim went camping with his family, but he aggravated his recurring back problem a couple of days before when he was golfing with his buddies. His wife had to set up the campsite and do all the heavy lifting, and Tim couldn't do a whole lot with the two kids. Tim was not a happy camper. And neither was his wife. The following Monday, Tim's wife got him an appointment at Hopkins Health and Wellness Center, a DMR method clinic. Their team of physical therapists and chiropractors figured out what was really wrong with his back, quickly got him out of pain, and taught him how to keep it from coming back. And what did Tim say was the biggest benefit of finally handling his back problem? Happy wife, happy life. DMR clinics are a group of physical therapists, chiropractors, and allied medical spine specialists that can help you feel better fast. They have a 96% success rate. It's covered by insurance, and you don't need a referral. They have convenient locations in Hopkins, Woodbury, Rogers, and Blaine. For a free consultation, go to dmrmethod.com. That's dmrmethod.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Tom Bernard Show. Yeah, it's so funny about that with these politicians. It's always, well, he did pay the dues, but he never actually joined. You're flat out lying. <laughs> the reason that you're allowing us to know that he paid his dues is because they had proof that he paid his dues. Is there any proof he ever actually attended a meeting? Of course not. They were clandestine meetings. Nobody <laughs> knew who was there. So don't give me this he never attended a meeting thing. I love how they changed the narrative on the whole thing. And how can you tell anybody who was at a Klan meeting? They're all wearing hoods. Exactly. He's <laughs> wearing a hood. Huh? Harry, is that you? <laughs> no, no, it's not me. I, Gosh, well, I, gee, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. You can't believe any of those people. And I swear to God, politicians are getting filthier by the day. What is that all about? I don't know. Too much money to be made. It is. CBS News names a new face the nation anchor. Why, who is the old one? <laughs> I don't watch those. Oh, it's John Dickerson. Okay. I don't watch those Sunday morning. Is it no, Sunday morning? I believe so, yeah. Meet the all press. That stuff. And, I can't uh, watch all that stuff. No. It's nothing but vitriol and hatred and ugh. Remember I was worried it was going to be Scott Pelley. Scott Pelley. <laughs> CBS Evening News. <laughs> Worst choice for an anchor in the history of television. Ugh. Horrible, horrible news anchor. CBS News has named <laughs> CBS News has named Margaret Brennan as moderator of the Sunday morning political talk show Face the Nation, replacing John Dickerson. The AP reports Brennan has been one of the substitute moderators along with Nancy Cordes and Major Garrett since Dickerson left the Washington Bay show to join CBS this morning. CBS News President David Rhodes announced the appointment on Thursday, today. Brennan officially takes over this Sunday. Brennan is the White House and Senior Foreign Affairs Correspondent for CBS News and interviewed Secretary of State Rex Tillerson for 60 minutes this past weekend. Brennan will leave the White House but continue reporting on foreign affairs for the network. She worked at Bloomberg News and CNBC before joining CBS in 2012. Um, She looks like she's about 20 years old. Yeah. And she's very, very young looking. Yeah. Alex is here. Alex came in. Have the rest of that. Is our guest not there? No, he didn't call in yet. As oh, soon as he calls well. in, we'll, we'll let it be known. She's 37. She does not look like she's 37 yeah. years old. 
That's amazing. Yeah, I don't. I I can't watch any of those shows. I, you know, the Fox morning shows and the CBS morning show, the NBC, the ABC. I can't watch any of it. It's just it leans too far to the left or too far to the right. I just don't need it. How about some moderate? How about a moderate opinion? That'd be good. What's up, Alex? So. Hi. What are you doing? Sorry, Fawn. So I put Fawn down for her nap. Yep. To sleep, probably. She was going to sleep. And then Bella runs in her room and shakes her ears. And then I hear Fawn, Bella! And then she would not go back to sleep <laughs> for anything. It took an hour to go back to sleep. Yeah. So that's why. We have our guest. All right, so you're good, though, and you're locked in, Alex. You're good to go? I'm locked in. I don't know what that means, but yes. Just loaded for a bear. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Yeah, we can't really uh, just have someone call into line three, which is kind of strange. Can, when are we getting the new telephone system? Um, whenever it decides to ship, I guess. All right, well, so, yeah, he can call it back any time now, um, yeah, he'll and be it good. should be better. I told him and one And there you go. Well, if it's not, we're going to Yeah, just to... unplug, the, unplug the line one thing after the show today. It's clearly... It's not working. Explode. Yeah, we got a new one on the way. We'll, we'll put the new one in, and life will be grand. I did... Uh, yeah, those I... things are... Just to get a phone connection into a board, those things cost like $800. Like, you'd think you could just, like, plug the phone into it or something, but no, you need uh, some happening. pretty heavy-duty <clears throat> equipment for that kind of thing. Not happening. Our, so we're just going to disconnect line one until we get the new uh, equipment. Yeah. We're actually, ladies and gentlemen, in the next few months, we're moving to a new studio, which will be much better equipped. This is a great building. We love the building, but it's an old building, and the and the internet here is just dreadful. And, and the, the wiring phone, is The just wiring, the phone lines old. are old, and it's just... So we're moving to a new location in a few months. Uh, and I, I think the building found out because they sent me my rent check, and it's uh, <laughs> double what it normally is. Uh, rec- uh, reconciliation of, uh, what is it now? Uh, reconciliation of the 2017 operating expenses. Why would, I be, why would I be on the hook for your operating expenses? Are you nuts? So I guess we'll get to go back to court. That'll be me again. <laughs> so my whole life is spent in court. Let me know when David's ready to go. And we'll be good to go. I told him about a minute, so he'll call back. Uh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Um, so he's a mountain climber? Yeah, and I just I wonder about that. What, what happened in your life when you were younger? Or were you just born wanting to take great risks? Well, Some is, people are. Well, he survived throat cancer. So oh, there that. you go. So, yeah, I bet he was like, I might as well you know, live while I can that kind of thing it's true some people definitely have that whole adrenaline rush thing in their blood yes they do it's very very like dan is one of those people that he's like i want to go on adventures and yada 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 it's not like he had some sort of big some people just love it crazy upbringing that would make it so he i don't know so yeah it's interesting some people just love the whole thing yeah Award-winning author and celebrated mountaineer David Roberts searches for meaning in great adventures of the past and present and limits of the known. In a book that is part memoir and part history, David Roberts looks back at his personal relationship to extreme risk and tries to make sense of why so many have committed their lives to the desperate pursuit of adventure. I just want to ask you that straight away, David. Do you Is there one thing in your life, do you think, that made you 
want to take extreme risk. David is on. David, is this line a lot better? Yeah. Oh, good, wonderful. We're just we're in a very uh, old you. building here, David, and some of the lines once in a while just don't want to cooperate. So thank you for your patience. Right. I appreciate it. Award-winning author and celebrated mountaineer David Roberts searches for meaning in great adventures of the past and present and limits of the known. In a book that is part memoir and part history, David Roberts looks back at his personal relationship to extreme risk. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about most, David, is uh, was there an event in your life? Have you always – my daughter is here. She's on the show, and her husband loves adventure and goes mountain climbing and – you know, does some pretty risky things, and it wasn't driven by anything. He just loves it. He really, really enjoyed <laughs> it. I don't, you know, was that the same with you? No, I was driven by it, <laughs> which is not to say I didn't love it. But, uh, yeah, for about 15 years in my 20s and 30s, climbing was everything to me, more important than the rest of life put together. And why do you think and that happened? it was correspondingly dangerous, so I right. had quite a few close calls. Um, why do you think it is that it was more important to you than anything else? I don't know. You know, it's the whole nature of obsession. I, I suppose because it was maybe the first thing I was really good at. And oh, okay. When, when we were climbing in Alaska, there were so many unnamed, unclimbed routes and peaks that it felt like a, a whole arena, a whole field of exploration that nobody had touched. And I'd never quite come across something that untraveled before, even intellectually. So, Alex, do you think that's the way Dan feels about this? I have no idea where Dan's whole thing about advent, like the adrenaline rush and, oh, I want to be in a dangerous situation. That sounds fun to me. I don't know where that comes from. Some people just For love it. Him. Yeah, I, he was just born with this, and none of his siblings are like that at all. His parents aren't like that. He just is... Now, David, I do have to ask you, in the wake of, uh, of a diagnosis of throat cancer, Robert seeks the answer with sharp new urgency, explores his own lifelong commitment to adventuring, as well as the cultural combina- uh, contributions of explorers throughout history. When did the diagnosis come in, Rob, uh, David? In uh, July 2015. And how are things? Two and a half years. So things are, are good, better, best? How are, how are you? Well, after a year... When I came very close to dying twice, it, I, it was found to have metastasized to my lungs, mm. which means it can't be cured. But I've been on immunotherapy for the last half year, and even though the odds are quite against it, it seems to have worked in my case, not to cure the cancer, but to, to stop it from yes. progressing. Well, that's got to be good news, I would yeah, think. it's good, except that I'm so much weaker now and, and have so many other physical problems that my life it doesn't begin to be what it used to be. Oh, that's unfortunate. See, that's, that's the sad part to hear from me because you loved something so much. And it's kind, of, it's kind of ironic that something like throat cancer then metastasizing in your lungs, the very thing that could prevent you from doing what you want to do, other than losing limbs, of course, the very thing that could prevent you from doing what you love to do is what happened to you. And how, how do you look at that? Is that a... Just a, a bad stroke of luck? Is there, I mean, does that have any meaning for you? Why? Is there any answer at all why this could have happened? Well, I think it is a bad stroke of luck. I mean, after all, we now live long enough that most of us are bound to get some kind of pretty serious disease in old age. You know, I'm 74 now, and um, 
a lot of my friends have died by this age. A lot of them? Really? So wh- where are you from originally? Originally in Colorado, but, you know, um, three score and ten, I've already used that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. We, but, you know, David, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, there's an article in the local newspaper this morning about old shaming or age shaming, and we were just talking about the fact that really 70, 75, 80 is not that old anymore because a lot of people are living into their 90s now, some into their 100s. So, because it used to be back in the days, oh my God, he's 65 years old. He's only got a few more years to live. So, you said you're what, 74 now? Yeah. So, you could, you could hang around another 15, 20 years, don't you think? Uh, no, not with the cancer. I don't, I think the odds are quite against that. So can what can you do? Can you do anything close to what you love to do so much? Is there anything you can do? I can still write books. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. You can still write books. Uh, that, are there certain people? How did first of all? How did you learn how to how to uh, climb? How did you learn to become a mountaineer? I guess. Um, I, I became a serious. I climbed in high school in Colorado, but. I became a serious mountaineer when I went to Harvard, which at the time, not true anymore, had by far the most serious mountaineering club of any college in the country. Mm-hmm. So within a year or two, I'd gone from hiking up easy peaks in Colorado to, to climbing a new route on Denali really? with my peers and my slightly older colleagues at Harvard. And that really that gang of friends was the, the spur that led me to the, the real cutting edge of unclimbed peaks and new, new ranges in Alaska. That's wonderful. So how many years, so you, did you literally get to climb for more than 50 years? Well, I still climb, but um, at a very reduced level. But I would, I'd be reduced anyway by age. But, yeah. you know, it's still very important to me. And in fact, exploring is still important to me. And, and the real passion of my life now is looking for prehistoric rock art and ruins in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. And I can still do that. See, that's a wonderful thing. So hopefully, the doctors tell you, have they given a, a specific time? You have several more years left, you think? No, they don't speak in those terms. Oh, they um, don't? Okay. Because they don't know. You know, immunotherapy yeah. is such an un proven field that they they can't even say whether this stoppage in my case is a short-term holding action or a real fix all right exactly where did you come up with the title limits of the known it's a quote from one of the guys i celebrate in the book fridjof nansen the great norwegian explorer who tried to go to the north pole in the 1890s and his his book farthest north is an absolute classic and there are many quotable phrases in it he talks about exploring is pushing beyond the limits of the known. So, and that's what the thrill is. It's it's actually the unknown is the great thrill. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. The book is called Limits of the Known. It's available everywhere, David. I think so. I haven't looked. <laughs> <laughs> well, call us again. I want to I want to talk to you as time goes by. Cuz that that way I'll know you're all right, okay? Okay. Thank you, David. Yep. We'll be back, Tom Bernard. Show.